All right, y'all, welcome back to another episode of the More Life Podcast. This week, I am here with my main man, Brad, director and uh, movie maker at large. Uh, Brad, say what's up to the people, man. Hey, everybody. All right, guys, we're going to start the episode right now. Roll the intro. Welcome to the More Life Podcast, where creatives, problem solvers, and entrepreneurs talk about squeezing more out and finding meaning in this crazy thing we call life. Let's dive in. All right, y'all. I hope you guys enjoyed that smooth sounding intro. We're going to get started today with an amazing um, cinematographer and director, uh, somebody who I really do admire, uh, a friend of a friend of a friend and a friend indeed, Brad Dworkin. Brad, how how are you doing, man? Like I know you're you're cooped up at home. You're uh, you with your family, and work cannot continue for you as it would normally. So let the people know first of all what exactly you do. Maybe some of the stuff that you're known for that they might recognize uh, your work, and then tell us how you're doing at home, man. Yeah, uh, awesome. Well, thanks for having me first of all. Um, and I'm doing okay. You know, I'm I'm home with my wife and my two young kids and my dog, and uh, we formed a little uh, unit here as we sort of uh, face this this crisis together uh but honestly it's okay um obviously i'm uh, i'm a director uh, i work on commercials i've worked on brands like air canada nike uh done stuff for kfc and taco bell nice uh oh, yeah, the taco right. bell one was cool i remember that the, Dor- the doritos blasted taco yeah that was yeah. that was mine to handle uh the job i finished just before everything shut down was a, a cookie commercial that's gonna be coming out soon so at least i have something to look forward to there but basically Nothing is nothing is filming right now. Oh at my all. gosh! And that's how you. That's how everything happened. Um, I try not to make content that's like super um, dated, but because this pandemic thing is happening for such a long period of time, we have to we have to address the whole coronavirus thing. And I didn't realize how serious it was, or it didn't become real to me until everything started happening on that Wednesday evening where Rudy Gobert from the NBA player got sick and Tom Hanks and then the NBA shut down the entire league and it all happened in the course of like half an hour. And I was like, oh, this is no joke. Uh, You know, the fact that sports ended and the fact that the Raptors didn't finish playing and then I saw on social media you mentioned that you had a spot that you guys had filmed for a brand that was going to be playing during the Raptors in I guess the upcoming months and that also has now been uh, canceled right so it affected everybody we did a we did a spot for Dove Men uh, Dove Men Skincare and it was all about how uh, people are fans of the Raptors and, and they use watching the Raptors game to get together as a family and spend time together. And uh, of course no one is getting together and watching, well, maybe they're watching last year's games, but they're not watching. Yeah. They're not Raptors watching just, games. No, not at all. Uh, and uh, probably at this point, I think most parents have had uh, all the family time they can handle. <laughs> uh, yeah. No joke. Yeah. I'm I mean, teaching my kids French. Like it's not, I speak French. My wife doesn't speak French. So like I, I'm, I'm done with, you know, being at home, pay the teachers, whatever they need to be paid so they can teach my kids. Yeah, I mean, don't get me basis. wrong. I, I absolutely love my kids, but, uh, you know, they're feeling it too. Like, my daughter's in kindergarten. It was her first year of school. And oh, she man. still, she asked me, she's like, when am I going back to school? What are you going to make me for lunch tomorrow for school? I'm like, I don't have an answer. You know what? You were talking about, like, when it started to feel real for you. Yeah. That's when it started to feel real for me. It was like, they said, oh, we're going to cancel school for two weeks here in Ontario. And I was like, oh, two weeks. We can handle two weeks. We can We can manage at home. And then they're like, Actually, not two weeks. We're gonna go. We're gonna keep 
canceling it until we tell you otherwise there's no school. I was like, well, this is it. It's like it's from now till September. There's no school. Uh, as soon as I realized that, then I was like, okay, this is actually a big thing, and I gotta, you know, Re-jig. make a game plan here. Get ready yeah. to to face this. Yeah, because you're also a freelance uh, worker. Like you don't work directly for an agency or anything like that. So it yeah. really does affect you and your work that you can do and the the uh, uh, the money you would provide for your family. Right? Like it's not the same at all. That's right. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that's kind of working my favor right now is uh, as a freelancer, you do a job, you get paid for it like, you know, 30 days later, 60 days later, whenever the job sort of invoices. So uh, I'm getting paid right now. I'm getting all kinds of money for the jobs I did before the shutdown. Nice. But in two months. (laughs) Yeah. There's going to be no money coming in because I haven't been shooting for the last few weeks. So it's going to be, you know, interesting. I'm lucky that we live in Canada where there is a fairly healthy uh, support package being offered. Uh, you know, much better than the the twelve hundred dollars only that Americans are getting right now. Yeah, that's not that doesn't sound very good at all. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't feel like that's a a very good long term plan because there's so many more people there and there's so many more cases there. Yeah, and I don't. There's, there's a, there's, that's a tough situation. Um, but even with like you know creative and creative arts, we all I feel like a lot of creatives are in that type of tough situation where they're like, okay, how do I navigate moving forward? How do I get my uh, my bearings? And it took everybody a second because I had a, quite a few, probably so far I signed the biggest deal of of this year of 2020, and then literally four or five days later, everything shut down and they said, hey, we're gonna pause on signing the contract. And I'm just like, of course, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Everything is, like, pausing. And then just now, like, literally last week, I started to see some clients of mine saying, hey, we're realizing this is a longer um, stint, so we're going to keep going with some of the projects because we have to just adjust to what's happening, and we're just going to pivot the approach, and we're going to keep going. For, for a hot minute there, like a month and a half, people were just like, pump the brakes, we're not doing anything anymore. Yeah, I mean, we, we people sort of figured they could wait it out. They're like, you know, if we yeah. just like pause and maybe we could do a commercial with stock footage or something, then everything will be okay. Um, and I think now we're at the point where they're going like, oh, we have to figure out a way. Like, I'm getting phone calls for things like, uh, you know, oh, we're gonna record Zoom calls, and then we're gonna like crash them with some kind of crazy stunt or activation, or like, you know, uh, <laughs> crazy things. I had a um a call. I don't know if I'm allowed to. I guess I could talk about it because I didn't take the job, so whatever. Right. Uh, Campbell's Soup is getting everybody to like film their own families. They're like literally calling up cinematographers and going, do you have a camera at home? Can you just shoot some footage of your family eating soup and send it to us? Uh, so like everyone's trying to find a way to keep making content, but it's not an easy time right now. Yeah, it's not, it's not easy at all in terms of just people getting like their bearings. And I feel like um, ad agencies or brands really uh at first stumbled as well so like uh, what i mean by that is people have posted parodies of how to film a coronavirus commercial and you can see it happen repeat like it's like a formula where they show uh empty areas and somber music and and then they show like the hopeful people close up of their faces and people yeah. gathering together and it's yeah you just... get that that nice <laughs> that like close crop voice that's just like you know family exactly togetherness exactly we all we all know at times like this how hard it can be you know like it's it's it's, there is a formula for sure um but it's the same thing like you know i compare it to what happened after september 11th right like people don't know if they can be funny 
if they can make jokes. They don't know if they can sell you something right now. Like, nobody wants to be the guy that's like, times are hard. Buy donuts. You know, so they're all trying to basically, instead of trying to sell you a product, all the commercials are basically shifted to, I'm going to sell you the brand and tell you that the brand cares. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, that results in a lot of same, 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 because brands don't really have, a lot of brands don't have a really clear identity of who they are, who they want to be. That's really good, actually. And when you get tested in that, I feel like identity is one of the most important things for oneself and also if you're a brand, if you're a company. Like knowing who you are can can help you identify what you don't want to be. And so sometimes you can see like, oh, I don't want to be like what I see there. We're going to lean on our own um, core values or our own morals. Um, and that's what's going to guide us through uh, a turbulent time. Um, and I feel like, you know, even with uh, uh, creatives and with brands, they have to work hard at keeping that ship level at, while at the same time, you know, you have to leave room to adapt. And that's kind of like a benefit that creative people have. Like, even for yourself, once this uh, whole pandemic thing kind of finishes, there's going to be an opportunity for you to realize and kind of decide, okay, how am I going to change my approach in getting in getting work and building up my team and 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 uh, um, doing the jobs that I'm assigned to do? Like, I don't know. Do you have a regular like you regular called upon people that you call on when you have certain gigs? Like in terms of crew that I work with? Yeah, and, like and a crew. Collaborators? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I have my usual people, depending on what kind of job it is and, and what sort of the requirements are of it. Um, you know, I think over time you build up a community, uh, and especially there's a great community of freelancers out there, people who want their independence but want to be, you know, that you can call upon for things. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the opportunities, I think, right now are uh, learning, expanding your skill set, trying new things, trying things that a client or a company would never give you the opportunity to do, uh, you know, try and do that. Do something outside of your wheelhouse. Um, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, And I also think there's an opportunity outside of the work that I do, a lot of it being commercials, but I also do documentaries and I do short films and and projects like that. And and, uh, there have been a number of opportunities that have come up where they're saying, look, everyone's at home and they want something to be hopeful about. And so they're creating opportunities for people to write uh, scripted content or make documentaries or mm-hmm. make podcasts. Uh, I think that we're going to be looking for content because we're all kind of in this place where we're stuck at home and we, we need something, you know? And uh, I've already heard, like, I, th- I think I heard that, like, Genji Cohen, the uh, uh, showrunner creator of Orange is the New Black. Okay, yeah. Uh, she's already working in an, on an anthology series about people stuck in quarantine during coronavirus. Yo, the... First of all, the internet never loses, and you know what? Creative people are always uh, on top. Like, <laughs> you can never beat creatives because, like, whether any type of art form, whether it's uh, the comedian, already have the jokes the same night that 9-11 has, and directors and actors and artists and ad- advertisers, they all have yeah. the angle already. Like, we're I always mean, looking... The, the, the amount of uh, isolation-themed film festivals that have popped up like one week after this all started. It's amazing because Every, everyone, like the pivot, the pivot is like key, right? Mm-hmm. Something bad happened. How do you pivot? How do you make a negative into a positive for you, for your career, for our artistic expression? Uh, I think that's what everybody's looking for, right? Yeah, I think everyone wants to be um, first also. So who can be the first to pivot? Who can pivot the best? in terms of um, a fresh idea, because that first wave. So what was the guy? I don't, I'm not good with actors' names. You'll know him. 
uh, from The Office, the Good News Network or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, uh, that would be um, um, uh, John Krasinski. John Krasinski. Okay. John, the first week he streamed, he had 17 million. And the last episodes three and episode four, it's now down to 5.5 because now everyone's kind of has that same approach. Hey, we're filming from home. We're sharing good stories. We're being cool. Fallon's showing his family. They're going on walks together. It's all, it, he was the first to kind of capture the essence of, you know, well, let's just do something that's good hearted. And right. the but first the, couple the episodes time. was really good. At the same time, you know, not to be the the cynic who works in advertising, but I am, uh, you know, he nailed it those first couple of episodes. And then very shortly thereafter, you started to see brand involvement. You started to see companies creating content specifically targeting to get it onto John Krasinski's uh, YouTube show. And I mean, it's the kind of stuff where they would have been paying to get it on like Jimmy Fallon, you know. Or Kimmel, or or you know whatever, one of the Jimmies, basically. Um, <laughs> why are there so many Jimmies in late night? Anyway, I don't know, poor Coleman. Uh, yeah, but uh, you know the kind of stuff that they would have been trying to get a product placement on TV. Uh, now you're trying to get a product placement in like a very shoddily made YouTube show. Yeah, uh, and it's kind of wild. Like it's it's like part of me, the production quality person inside of me, is kind of like crying <laughs> a little bit because it's like. You know, what does a concert film look like? Well, now it's somebody on Instagram Live. What does a talk show look like? Well, now it's somebody filming on their iPad. You know, what do all these shows that rely and subsist off of really talented lighting and sound and camera people sophistication. Uh, and producers? Yeah, all yeah. that sophistication is going out the window, and everyone's watching these really low-quality content things, and I'm just worried that the, the money people uh, are going to go, well, if we could do it just with iPads, then let's just do it with iPads. Like, why do we need to go back to all that production quality when... It's doing just fine, and we're getting millions of views for cheap crap. Yeah. You know, it, in terms of Joe Exo- that Joe Exotic um, uh, after show was done with iPhones. It was with Joel McHale, and they sent iPhone and AirPod kits to everyone, and that's how they did it. Yeah, put yeah. the camera on, put same on an AirPod. For, uh, same thing for the NFL draft this year. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, same thing for Parks and Recreation is doing a, a reunion episode. People have been waiting years to see Parks and Rec reunite, and what we're going to get is shot on people's iPhones in their homes. At one point, at, at one in one side of it, it's like I love the uh, the craftsmanship of like, okay, we're just going to bootstrap it. That's cool. We still got to yeah, get it's, some it's the people. show must go on. The show attitude, must go on. Right? At the same time, as you know, artistry is like you know that stuff also really does get lost you know i'm a big fan of like camera angles and like i believe the camera always tells you something before you can even see or hear it and you miss a lot of that right so it's not the same like fallon's wife is the camera operator this this is where we're this is where we're at like you know what i mean like yeah and i mean i get that there's i get that there's no other way to do it like you know we're doing what we can um you know but at the same time, like I know uh, a cinematographer friend of mine was talking on Facebook today and he's like, hey, I have my Airy Alexa very high end digital cinema camera and I'm trying to figure out how to set it up so it connects to a Zoom conference for something. <laughs> I'm like, you're, you're connecting like literally a quarter of a million dollars worth of equipment to Zoom. <laughs> uh, and it just kind of like hurts because it's like that's not what they train for. That's not what they uh, dream of doing. Uh, we're all just trying to kind of find a way to to get through it and and keep making because if we don't make something in you know after a month goes by we start to wither basically creative people i find you know like you yeah. can't not be making something because it's how we sure. 
it's how we interpret the world, right? It's how we react to what's going on around us, and we absolutely need to be processing yeah, the like, nonstop thoughts in our head right now. You gotta like you have to let it out some somehow in some way. And there has been some pretty decent quarantine content. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're not a really creative person, you bake sourdough all day long. And I've seen a <laughs> lot of that. Everyone's obsessed with their sourdough starters. But if you are a creative person, you you write a script, you know, you're working on something even if it doesn't end up being anything it's a w- just a way to process your thoughts right 100 percent. i've been doing a lot of live streams i was doing them on youtube i did my first one on facebook yesterday i'm just trying to do as much i feel like there's two ways to think of it and this is the business side of me it's like either we hunker down and we wait <clears throat> and we see like okay what are we going to do and we pivot from there or we double down and say you know what we can gain ground right now everybody else is sleeping we're going to be working we're going to be uh, attracting clients we're going to be making deals we're going to be finding what is the new niche that i need to fill and all those different things so there's some people who are like we're going to wait it out because they have to like if it's labor if it's you know certain uh, material making and construction like some stuff you just physically cannot do filming you cannot do while while that's happening but there's other stuff where it's like hey i do marketing I do advertising. So that stuff is like, okay, let's get this moving. What do we got to do? And this is what we saw before, right? Like we were talking about advertisers just being advertisers and just doing whatever it needs to be done. And if we already had the money that we were going to spend on Fallon, whatever, we're going to spend it with the Good News or with the Good News Network or whatever it was called. I can't remember that guy. John Krasinski, uh, Jack Ryan. (laughs) And, you know, like it's going to get spent. (laughs) Jack Ryan. Uh, or Jim, rather, uh, you know, it's just a matter yeah, like, of like you got to pick his iconic role, Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime, not not Jim <laughs> from The Office, the show that literally everyone on the planet watched. That's fine. Uh, is it wrong? To, I don't want to alienate half of my audience, but I haven't seen it. yet. You know, the, the guy from the from a quiet place, that guy. Oh, my gosh. His wife is Emily Blunt. Yes. Oh, there okay. you go. You know, his wife. OK, I know his wife. I don't, yeah. I don't, don't ask me what she's been in. I don't know what she's been. Well, she was also in a quiet place, but beyond that, uh, I haven't seen she, a quiet wasn't place. She Mary Poppins, I think she was Mary Poppins. Oh, right, right. Okay, now I know who she is. <laughs> I knew the name, but I didn't know what she looked there you like. Go. Listen, I I love um, movies, but I I rarely get a chance to actually watch all the movies. I have like a list in my wow. note app, and That's I just, life as a parent, right? There you go. Yeah. I, I I just try to like I I I'm diligent at filling up the list. I watch maybe four five maybe six movies a year and that's kind of like that's it I, i'm like all right i guess that's it man i'm just gonna keep adding to the list i guess i'll wait till this stuff is on netflix now 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 watching like five or six movies in a year do you worry that that's kind of limiting you to the biggest baddest hits like the biggest blow you to the back of your seat blockbusters i'm not you attracted know? to that um i like stuff that's inter- like i tell people the way i explain it is like i'm a very happy person and i'm i come off very happy and i love to engage with people that way but to balance that the other side of me is i like to watch um dramatic sad movies more than anything like more than a comedy or like an action and like if it's a thriller if it's a drama if it's a documentary then okay that, that interests me more than the um i don't know what the big see i wouldn't even know what the big movie is like the only yeah, big me- movie I'll watch is like James Bond. If it comes out, like I want to see that in a the theater. And other than that, it's probably not gonna. I, I don't care. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a that's a real problem, right? Like, you know, uh, everyone's just going and watching like the big Marvel 
stuffed <laughs> and uh those those smaller little indie films are are not getting the attention but that might be one of the good consequences of this whole coronavirus thing is very true uh you can't make a movie with 300 people on set right now just can't be done it's not gonna but, happen for a long time but you can make a sweet little indie film about two or three people hanging out in an apartment somewhere and uh, probably a lot of those are going to be bad, but there might be some that are really amazing. You know, That's we might get thing. some some diamonds in the rough and and kind of revitalize the indie mumblecore kind of film movement, right? Indie films is like um, vintage clothing. You got to dig, but when you find something cool, everyone's going to ask you about it. You're going to be like, yeah, yeah, I know this is dope. I can I already know it's it's really really cool. Uh, this is a great, and you can put people on, and trends happen that way because of independent films that were bold enough and you know those production houses that are are risky enough to say listen we're going to give you the cash to do it um that that i feel uh is valuable to the whole ecosystem i'm i'm just super interested as like a fan of the stuff as a content consumer um how this all is going to play out because you have these ginormous studio lots in hollywood and you know like it's like Hollywood and the banks run the world. You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> so it's like, if they're shut down legit and uh, even Hollywood, like you, I expected what the banks did to happen, right? The banks basically like, sure, we'll loan you money, but we're not like changing any of like, if you owe money on your mortgage, we'll, we'll cut it down. Uh, you can pause it, but all that interest is still accumulated. You still owe us all that money. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's what I expect the movie interest needs to, to somehow figure out a way to do is to kind of makeshift the industry, the the whole economy. Uh, but if they're shut down, I'm like, what's the landscape going to be like in total? Especially when you when we talk about like these big names are now basically metamorphosing into YouTubers. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. That's kind of crazy to think about. Like ABC is letting uh, 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 Kimmel just roll around it with an iPad taped to his car and he's driving. Like that stuff is wild to see. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, even the Oscars announced this year that they're going to allow uh, films that only streamed and never were in theaters, which is a huge change for them. They're saying it's temporary, wow. but, you know, it might be one of those things where the toothpaste is out of the tube, right? Right. Um, but I think, you know... Uh, like banks and studios we could talk about for a while. But uh, I think, you know, if, if you told a film producer, like, you know, uh, do you want to take the risk and start shooting again? They'd say yes, because they have the chance to make all the money, uh, even sure. though it's detrimental to the crews and dangerous and it's not a good thing. Like, you know, already um, Tyler Perry in Atlanta is talking about mm -hmm. building his own quarantine studio, basically, where the whole cast and crew He's not in. done building yet. He's like, he's like, we're going to come in. I got a hotel on site. We're going to stay there for two weeks. And then after the two weeks, we're all going to start filming. And I'm like, you're going to take people like, you know, away from their families, away from their homes, just to make a movie, just to make another Medea. No, like, to pay that mortgage on that ginormous studio lot he got. Well, that too, right? <laughs> so, you know, you ask a producer, do you want to keep making money right now? The answer was always going to be yes. Yeah, that's true. Always. That's true. Um, But I think, you know... uh the lucky thing at least right now from my conversations is the insurance companies. So a film needs to have insurance. It needs to be bonded, right. protected so that if one of the actors gets hurt or something happens, they can pause production, do reshoots. Uh, the insurance brokers that I've been talking to, at least here in Canada are like, look, you know, don't expect to do anything big between now and 2021. Oh my God. So, you know, they're uh, not guaranteeing anything. They're not going to guarantee any big name stars to go jumping mm -hmm. off of buildings or anything like that. You're not going to see Tom Cruise in a Mission Impossible stunt anytime. Right. 
And that's just because they can't take the risk because if they insure a production and somebody goes on set and they get coronavirus and something bad happens, they're liable. The employer is liable in that situation. So they don't want to be paying out a ton of uh, claims. That's just wild. You know, like the, I, 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 we spoke about this in my, the last episode I had uh, with a friend of mine. I think one of the hardest things um, in, in the world to do is to share ideas well. Like uh, you think of like a movie set. There are hundreds, if not thousands of people involved, and they all have to somewhat be um, on the same page. Right, yeah. like, and and you're you're a director, an actual real life director. So yep, I would love pretend. to get your not pretend, but a lot of people call themselves directors who don't actually direct anything in the in well, the sense that they're 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 like their own DP. They just go out, they just film scenes, but they don't give direction. They don't lead a crew. They don't do that type of stuff. It's very. I want to I want to be clear though to differentiate because there is an element of being a creative, which is uh you know uh do the job you want to be doing right. So there's a lot of people out there who want to be directors, who want to be writers, who want to be whatever. And so they go around and they put positivity out in the world. They go out and they say, I am a director. Whether or not they've directed anything or not, they're not going to get that opportunity unless they go out and they say they're a director. So I don't begrudge them that at all. Um, But in my case, uh, happily, I can say that for at least the last five or six years, I've made my living exclusively from doing directing. So it's it's not just uh, that I direct it's that i i have that it's my career i don't have any other career at the same time that's exactly the differentiating uh, factor that i want to make that this is uh like brad you're somebody who does this in the in the industry that uh your role is positioned and that's why i want to find out like how do we how do you as a director like uh develop uh ideas with i guess content creators like you have brands yeah. or independent stuff that comes up how does that idea get actually uh, uh nurtured into something that's real yeah i mean it, it absolutely is a collaboration um <clears throat> and i think you have to go into it with that attitude you have to understand that everyone has a stake and everyone has a, a goal that has to be satisfied your goals are artistic or creative uh the client's goals are related to sales or brand right. building um but you know uh the first thing I do always, always, always is I try to put things into the context of how important is it what we're doing at the end of the day. So especially when it comes to uh, advertising content, uh, even when it comes to film, to be totally honest, like we're not doing heart surgery. No one is going to live or die or no one should live or die right, 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 uh, right. based on what we're doing. Uh, so when people get really stressed out, when it's high stakes, when it's you know late nights and schedules are going long, uh, I try to just remind everybody that like, you know, what we're doing is entertainment, it's culture, it's in addition to the necessities of life, uh, and no, we should be having a good time. If you're not having a good time, that's a problem, and, I, and that's really important on my sets. Um, and the other thing, too, is I give all credit to everyone but myself. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe that's just my own personal you know, anxieties that I don't want to take credit for anything that's, that's happened. Uh, you know, If something good happens, it's like, well, that was because of someone else. I didn't have anything to do with that, whether right, or not right, right. I did or not. Um, but you know, I just want to make sure that people don't think that I'm like the auteur who's going to take credit for all their work. If the shot is beautiful, it's because the cinematographer was inspired and brought something to me where that was a great idea. If the writing is amazing and it just flows like, you know, from the angels, basically, (laughs) uh, that's because they were in the zone when they wrote that. Like, I just want everyone to feel that their input on set matters. And at the end of the day, uh, and I know this is an oversimplification. Obviously, I have a role to do. Um, 
I'm not touching anything. I'm not touching any lights, any cameras, uh, microphones. I'm not doing the acting. I'm really, all I'm doing is communicating. All I'm doing is, is telling people, oh, that was cool. I like that. Or like, oh, why don't we try something different? Uh, right. My only job is to talk, is to communicate. Maybe that's why I'm, you know, talking so much on this podcast. No, it's but, great. You, uh, you're sharing a lot of insight. Yeah. So like, you know, as long as you keep it in context and you don't let your head get too big, don't, don't have an ego going on to set. Um, you know, my early sets, I was so anxious going on that I would make myself sick. Like oh, not nauseous, but like I'd show up on, uh, if I know I had to shoot the next day, I'd start getting a sore throat. By the next day, I'd be like shaking with a fever. I just, I worked myself up so much that I got to set and then I was sick. And I remember I did That's this, crazy. my first sort of big TV spot was for Interact debit cards. And I'm on set and I'm indoors under hot studio lights and I'm wearing a winter jacket and a toque and I was shivering and shaking. And of all people, the craft, the craft service person, the person who has, who's giving food out to everybody on set, looks over, sees me, takes pity on me, starts bringing me warm bowls of soup the whole day. And I was like, you know, these guys could probably do the job without me if I wasn't here. Right. I couldn't do the job without them. I rely on them to survive. So you're uh, the chief collaborator. I'm, I'm the chief collaborator. I'm the arbiter of taste, right? Arbiter uh, of taste. I like that. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, I'm the one who has the whole project in their head at any given time. A cinematographer can always line up a pretty shot. Whether or not that pretty shot works with all the other pretty shots that we're making, that's for me to keep track of. Right. And when you have somebody who brings you an idea on how to pivot, like what's your approach is like you're, you're open to that on set. If you have something you want to bring to me, bring that to me. Um, let's flesh it out and let's see where it goes from there. The, the worst thing that can happen on set is you wrap for the day and you're hanging out with the crew and somebody goes, man, we really should have done this instead of that. And you don't want to be there where you're sitting there going, man, we missed an opportunity. Um, so for me, it's always like I always want to hear it, even if it's stupid. Uh, sometimes the stupid idea gets you to the good idea. Right. Like, I don't know if you've ever done this. I've been in like, uh, uh, brainstorming meetings for jobs. Uh, and I'll literally, you want to say something, but you know, it's stupid, but you know, it might get you there. You know, it might like, you might say something that's a really dumb idea. It's like, well, what if, uh, all the actors in this commercial are pigeons, you know, <laughs> doesn't make any sense. But by saying that somebody would go like pigeons, feathers, maybe they can have hats with feathers. And like, maybe that is a good idea. Right. You know, uh, that's an absurd example, but, uh, you know, never be afraid to say the idea, even if it's dumb, because the dumb idea can get you to the great idea. And sometimes you just have to get it out. You know, sometimes you have to put it on paper or you have to say it into the world just to clear it out of your brain to make yeah. room for the better idea. And there's also that the, the, when you're, I guess, meeting of minds and when you're first getting a first initial understanding of certain companies and certain brands, there's that, okay, are we going to work well together? Because if they're not open to um, the artistic op uh, opportunities that you're presenting them of what you want, you envision for this product or this, this brand, um, then you know already how it's going to go, right? Like everybody who had ever done, um, I guess, creative work or even work for any other person, if you from the onset it's a bad vibe or a bad connection those things only get heightened the further you go into a project right yeah and i mean that comes from time and experience certainly when i was younger uh i wouldn't stand up for myself or i wouldn't stand up for the creative uh i would say no or i would say, i would just say yes to everything i wouldn't say no because i was afraid um but as you get more experience and as you start to have a reel that you can sort of say look you know look i did this i got this many views like it's clearly effective i know what i'm talking about mm -hmm. uh you can start to 
stand up for, again, not for yourself, not for your own ego, but stand up for the creative. So, you know, I'll give you an example. I did a job in December for uh, Cadbury Dairy Milk. And it was real people going into a phone booth and calling their moms to tell them they love them for the holidays. Okay, we set up I like think I might old, have seen this. Like an old British style. Yeah, okay, uh, I did see this. I thought. Phone booth. We set it up on like Queen Street in Toronto. And, uh, you know, very early on, they're like, well, how can we get the chocolate bar into their hands? And I'm like, the last thing that you're going to want is, uh, you know, this touching moment. I love you, mom. I miss you. Happy holidays. I wish I was there with you. And then right after that, they pick up a dairy milk bar and hold it towards the camera and you see the logo. You know what I mean? It's like poor taste. Well, you just need to know what you can get away with. Right. Like sometimes a brand and, and to be fair, like I get why they're asking for things like that, but. Sometimes a brand wants a commercial to do everything for it at the same time. They want it to be something that builds brand and reputation. They also want it to be something that sells the product. Uh, They also want it to be something that's going to go viral, right? It's like you have to kind of choose and say, this commercial is really just about making us, you know, associating us with a nice feeling. Yeah. I tell people all the time, say, listen, marketing is about feelings and changing behaviors more than a product because if I feel a certain way towards something then I'm going to be attracted to it and if if I'm attracted to it then my behavior then is adjusted you know like I yeah I then to start doing more research on it should I buy it and what what do I need to do to have it inside of my life even if it's just you know a chocolate bar <laughs> it's just a chocolate yeah. bar <laughs> well but like you know if you're like oh that's the chocolate bar that cares about people and their families uh and coming together right. then that that you know like okay there's a fantastic book uh it's called free culture by an author named Lawrence Lessig. We'll put the uh, link in the description. Awesome. Podcasts. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this book was basically about uh, copyright and creative commons and the development of intellectual property rights. But one of the things that he talks about that I think is so fantastic is he talks about on the internet, what is the currency? Attention. Yeah. Is the currency, well, is the currency attention? Because I can get eyeballs on something, but it doesn't mean it's going to affect somebody. The currency mm. is reputation. You know, and we've seen this through influencer marketing, marketing, right? If you can build a reputation for being an arbiter of good taste or providing content to people which enriches their life in some way, uh, you can ask things of them. You can make demands of them. You can activate your audience towards your goals. And that's really important to understand. Mm. Uh, You know, if Air Canada can make people feel like they care about, uh, you know, the people that are flying on their planes more people are going to go, I want to fly with Air Canada because I'm not just a number to them. Whether or not that's true, they've built a reputation for that. Yeah, I think like, you know, what I initially said with attention, and I think that's very cold, right? Like it's something that's like, yeah, of course you want attention, especially on the internet, eyeballs. But if you want to really change the person's behavior, um, your reputation can help build a relationship because if there's trust, Then I'm be, willing let's to be give cynical you your... for a second, right? Like you can buy views. I can buy a million views on it's my true. video. It can be done in dark, shady corners of the internet. Uh, but what you cannot buy is actual engagement. You cannot buy actually having something to say to people that's going to make them want to reach out and respond and share and and want to be part of a conversation with the brand. Right, and that that's comes and that comes from knowing who you are as a brand that comes from like really understanding what are those values that we are going to position ourselves with what's really um our signature product or service that we really um uh, help solve problems right. for our audience right that's where the, that's where you can really build that repute oh those are the people who 
and then it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. If you want to get, you know, whatever it is, you know, your HVAC fixed, then you better call Reliance. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, you, that's, it seems so simple. Like, um, uh, back in the day, we used to always uh, uh, make fun of those people that had, like, their photos on, like, a... Uh, a bench, a bus bench, like a realtor or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then, but really, when you want to sell your house, you always remember that person's name. They've built that reputation in that part of town, where it's like, oh, if you want to sell your house, you got to talk to so and so because they're everywhere, right? Like they're right. But they're, but they but you know what? Known. That was the old world, right? That was right. the old world, exactly. with the old channels. What the way to advertise back in the day was like you put yourself on a, a bus bench, or you put yourself on the radio, you put yourself on TV, right? Um, the new channels are content are branded content are are you know things that come up in your feed that you actually want to watch you actually want to share we've all learned to ignore banner ads right oh 100% uh, you know look i i think the perfect example of this is vice whatever you think of vice and their you know somewhat sometimes sketchy business practices salacious uh, yeah vice has it nailed in terms of reputation right They've built a reputation that brands want to attach themselves to so they can make branded content for any brand whatsoever. And it doesn't even have to feel like their content. Like they made a, a, a series about youth, uh, youth financial health paid for by a major bank. But like it's nothing like a bank would ever do. It was super edgy. It was super weird. It was like Vice's signature style. Yep. But if you have that reputation that brands want to be a part of, they will trade their brand for yours. They will basically borrow your brand to give themselves credibility. Mm. That's right? very interesting. That's very interesting. Like brands take taking on the creator's persona almost to say, listen, you have an audience or reputation that's untapped uh, to our regular audience or reputation. And we want to like basically cross pollinate those two things to see uh, uh, what a, how can we further the brand and B who who can be new to us through your medium and through your approach to the to to this project? Yeah, I mean, I had an opportunity to do a piece of branded content uh, for A and W hamburgers. Mm. We did a three episode docu series uh, interviewing chefs from restaurants, uh, high end restaurants, Canoe in Toronto and uh, Antler, and we visited a farm where they grow cows that have nothing to do with A and W. We right. went to a, a, a an orchard where they grow peaches. You know, <laughs> nothing. There was never a shot of a burger head to toe in this entire thing. But at the front, it said A&W Presents. Why is that valuable? Very because interesting. Because at the end of the day, it's saying A&W is a brand that cares about where ingredients come from. It cares about the quality of ingredients. It cares about how the ingredients are prepared. And even if you don't actually see A&W product in the, the, the whole series, you have an understanding that A&W means quality. And that's, that's what brands, I think, chase more. Than, I think that's more valuable to a brand than to have a, like 10 spots you know, on primetime television um, that's, that's going to be talking about hamburgers and that, that guy that goes around giving people free burgers. Well, I mean, you tune it out, don't you? You go exactly. get a snack, you go to the bathroom, or if you have a TiVo, you skip it. I mean, yeah. they literally invent a box that allows you to skip commercials. I know. The thing that I make my living doing. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brad. <laughs> if, people had a, if people had a choice, if you said to people like, hey, do you want commercials in the world or do you want not commercials? Do you want to see billboards when you go outside? Do you want to see no billboards? What do you think people are going to say? Absolutely no. Don't give me any commercial ever. No. But if you say to people like, hey, 
uh, we're going to do like a concert series hosted by Snoop Dogg on YouTube uh, that's free, and you can hear a bunch of cool bands. You'd be like, you know what? I would check that out. That seems like it would be cool. I would check that out. And yeah. we watch more. We watch more commercials on online than we do on television, right? Like, and if and if that Snoop Dogg series was brought to you by Budweiser, that wouldn't be so bad either. Nope. You know, know. you wouldn't you wouldn't complain, right? It's like it's a return to the the old days of like the soap opera, right? Mm. Uh, where like literally the soap opera name comes from the fact that it was sponsored and brought to you by soap companies. They're like, well, wives are home because they're they don't work in this era. Uh, <laughs> they're watching TV. They're the only ones watching TV during the day. So let's sell them dish soap. Or, you know, whatever, laundry soap. That's wild. So and we've it, basically gone full circle. Yeah, we, we've now become a, a audience that accepts the fact that, you know, the presented by, like, who is showing me this, I'll accept that, and then I'll watch whatever it is I want to watch. And it's still somehow, because of a lot of, most of the internet is still being done on our phones, it feels more personal because I'm holding this tiny little screen close to my face and I'm watching this content and it's relating to me in a way that's unique, whereas television still feels so corporate. And if someone were to make a video and if it was on YouTube, uh, original content or whether it was even on a platform like Vice's original content on their, on their website, uh, it still feels more guerrilla, more uh, authentic, more realistic versus if that same content was the most traditional advertising, like television advertising, then it kind of feels like, hey, this is, who cares, we'll skip the ads, you know what I mean, record it and fast forward through. Yeah, I mean, you know, my my uh, my wife is a teacher. She teaches uh, 12 uh, and 13-year-olds, basically. And, uh, you know, the, one of the really interesting things and a, and a big sort of paradigm change for people from my generation to that generation is ask them who their top 10 celebrities are. Right. And are, they're not going to tell you movie stars. They're not going to tell you TV stars. David Dobrik, come on. They're going to start naming YouTubers yeah, and TikTokers. Twitch streamers, you know, mm-hmm. and TikTokers. That's, that's the reality for them, and that's, that's the way things are going to be. And, and like, even uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, uh, formerly of DreamWorks, uh, has launched his own streaming service now called Quibi. And okay. Quibi is a phone-only streamer, and all minutes. the episodes are 10 minutes or less. You can watch Chrissy Teigen be a celebrity judge in 10 minute chunks or Joe you, Jonas or chance the rapper. Right. Or you can watch like literally like a Chris Evans epic drama, but just cut into 10 minute chunks. And, How do you uh, feel about that? Cause I think it's a great idea. I don't like the, the rollout in terms of it's, it's a great idea pricing. at the wrong moment. Uh, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. That's right. That's I mean like not to, true. I realize the irony of the fact that I'm on a podcast right now, very few people are listening to podcasts because you listen to podcasts when you're on the bus, when you're going commute. to work, yeah, when you're commuting. Yeah, and nobody's commuting right now. So it's a bad time to have a podcast or make a podcast because not too many people are listening. Hopefully that'll change. Um, and I find Quibi is in the same problem, right? It's a bad time to be making uh, an app or launching an app where the whole idea is you're standing in line at the DMV or you're you know waiting for the bus. And you can watch a 10-minute episode of something. And you can only watch it on your phone. You can't put it on your Apple TV. You can't put it on your home theater. Right. Anything. And that's so, the thing. We're all, ho- we're all home right next to our 50-inch televisions. We have all the content we could ever need. We have no limits on how long we can watch it for. Uh, and he's like, I've made something snackable for when you don't have time. Well, you know what? We all got time. <laughs> we're, we're loaded with time right now. That's not yeah. a concern that we are, uh, we're really concerned about. I think it's um, a clever idea. I think it borrows on the idea of the web series, which obviously has been very successful. Yeah. Um, I just think it's uh, an idea at, a, at the wrong moment. 
I would love to see um, more innovation like that in terms of um, approach to different mediums. Like, I like that it's more than just like you know the average five five minute thing. Um, I like that it's ten minutes. I would love to see something you know more uh, cinematic, but in that yeah. twenty to thirty minute uh, range as well. Like we get television shows, and they, and the better um, like I love dramas, like or thrillers or stuff like that. The better cinematic stuff is always like hour long. Like it's harder to find like the shorter stuff. I mean, here's what I'm excited about, about the 10 minute format is right now what they're doing is just taking like basically feature films and cutting them up into 10 minute chunks. They're not really designing for 10 minutes. Um, in TV in 22 minutes, we know there's a three act structure in a 44 right. minute show. We know there's a, an, a structure. There's a, there's an act structure for longer content. Uh, I think we don't have the language yet for 10 minute content storytelling. Mm. Uh, I think we're developing it. I think it's interesting to see someone's going to knock it out of the park. Right now we're just kind of like, you know, traipsing around blind trying to figure it out. Someone is going to nail that content and make that thing where it's like, it's like three minutes an episode, but oh my God, is it captivating? Like it really manages to do something in those three, five, ten minutes uh, from a storytelling standpoint. As a filmmaker, that's what I'm really interested in. Right. You know, I, I wrote a series um, for a web series that didn't end up going forward, but it was every episode was about six or seven minutes. And trying to find a way to tell a story that was serialized, that continued each episode, but was also self-contained in those six or seven minutes is extremely challenging. Right. Because it has to be self-contained. It can't, you, you can't be a, a ginormous cliffhanger or no real arc within each episode. There has to be something that happens or some type of conflict that happens for the story to keep moving right. forward, right? You have to have a problem, uh, like a micro-problem, and a, a macro problem that goes across the whole season, micro problem, the problem gets right. resolved, and you have to have some kind of little hook that's going to make you come back for the next episode. And you have to see the character grow in some way or transform in some way. That's right. And I mean, if you look at like normal 22-minute television, you could have, you know, five minutes that's literally just spent on character development mm. uh, and no plot is happening. So it's like, how do you balance that out? How do you get everything you need to know about the character tucked away in that plot in a way that's really economical? Um, so yeah. I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see if that format does take off and we start to, to find a writing um, sort of methodology that we all kind of follow that helps us get through that shorter episode. Yeah. Brad, I could talk to you all day long about so many different things. I, before we go, I want to get your, um, your advice, your opinion uh, for younger creatives, younger filmmakers. Um, you already gave some amazing advice, you know, talking about um, putting that energy into the world. And if you are a content creator, if you are a filmmaker, and even if you're not doing it as of yet, call yourself that. But I feel like there's a lot of young people and their their immediate um, approach is to is to think about YouTube and to think about social or that type of content. And what type of advice would you give people that are like who love movies, who love, you know, uh, producing stuff and they have ideas, you know, is it just write, 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 write as many ideas as you can? How do they, how should they move forward, you know, to get um, themselves from here to there? Uh, I, I mean, I think that the only way to make it is to make it, you know, like, uh, and that's maybe cryptic, but I'll try to explain it. Uh, which is there's a lot of people out there who are writing stuff that they never make. It goes into a drawer, uh, you know, and part of that is self-doubt and part of that is fear that of failure. And, and uh, you need to understand that it's okay to put something out there that is less than perfect, something that may fail, something that you will 
learn from, right? Uh, I think that, you know, technology sector has nailed this, which is like fail faster. That's their slogan, right? right. Make something. If it doesn't work, get it out there. It fails. Try something else. Google. How many things from Google have failed oh over the gosh. years? Google Wave. Remember that? Oh, Nobody's I do using Google that. Wave anymore. Uh, so they get that. The film industry is unfortunately very risk averse. But we have an opportunity now through YouTube and the fact that, you know, the means of creation, the tools to create are more accessible than ever. Like when I started cutting stuff, I was using two VHS tape players and hitting pause and record. Uh, it was a whole different world. <laughs> uh, now you can make something. Uh, get, it gives you a chance to try and, and tell stories and put it out into the world. And if it sucks, that's okay because you're going to get to make another thing. You know, how many filmmakers, their first films were, were genius. We compare, you know, uh, the way someone put it to me is like, we are comparing the highlights reels of other creatives to our raw footage. Right. You know what I mean? We're comparing their final cut to the, our raw footage. And I don't mean literally raw footage. I mean like the raw footage of our life. Like every project that we do, good or bad, we are considering. But when we're looking at the people we idolize, we're only looking at the good. Mm. We're only looking at those films that like, you know, won the Oscar or really nailed it, you know? We're only seeing the top of the top of the top. And it's not really healthy to do that. You have to understand that there's a process and, and the only way to get better is by continuing to make things. Make the bad things. You can make the less bad things. You can make the less bad thing. So you can make the great thing. That's true. And don't let anybody stop you from making, you know? Uh, you heard it, you heard it there first, guys. Don't stop don't let anybody stop you from doing what you really feel called to do. And there is something to be said about being persistent um at, at focusing on your own thing and not just focusing on what everybody else is doing. Cuz if you do that, you can get into a loop of self, you know, judging yourself and and not really producing content that's valuable that's meaningful and that can really develop you into the artist or the creator that you want to be. Brad, once again, I'm so thankful that you took the time out to, uh, to talk with the people today. Uh, I do want you to, to shout yourself out. Where can people find you if they want to know more about you when I see you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my website is uh, braddwarkin.com. Uh, I imagine you'll put that in the show notes. Oh, yeah. Uh, on Twitter, I am also Brad Dworkin. Uh, on Facebook, Brad Dworkin. It's pretty straightforward. If you know my name, uh, then I'm in most of the... I'm not on TikTok. Uh, not yet. So not yet. Not yet. No. Well, probably probably never. Um, what else? Instagram, Brad Dworkin. Uh, Any yeah. projects coming up? Uh, well, I think I, I mentioned I did a, a commercial for Cookies. That's coming out <laughs> soon. <laughs> but uh, I am writing some projects right now and, and uh, you know trying to shoot as much stuff as I can. So... Uh, you know, hopefully you'll be seeing some things, some new stuff soon. And maybe the awesome. Raptors will start playing and you can see that commercial too. Yeah, I wanna I wanna see that commercial and I wanna see my Raptors play our defending champions. We are um, we are champions for another year, you know. We're it's champions so for bad. another it's not year. So you no, know, there's a silver lining there in this whole pandemic. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been another episode of the More Live Podcast. Bye.